I found early on that students were intimidated by poetry in as much as I was, and it's not something I was enthusiastic about. So, right, you know, as a teacher, if you're not selling it in the room, then nobody's buying. So how could I do that with poetry in places that I knew I liked? Hi there, I'm Carolyn Wall, your host of the Middle School Cafe podcast, a podcast specifically for secondary ELA teachers looking to close the achievement gap. I'm a 20-year veteran teacher who still loves being in the classroom. Tune in each week as I reflect on my own teaching experience to bring you lesson plans, strategies, and stories that will help you develop your students as readers and writers. So grab your notepad, a cup of coffee, and join me each week as we dive into all things ELA. Here we go. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to the podcast. I have got a treat for you today. I am talking with Lisa from Smith Teaches 9 to 12, and she is definitely the poetry queen. I've worked with her in a few collaborations over the last few years, and she always brings amazing tips and ideas to share about poetry. We are talking about this in April, which is Poetry Month, but Lisa's going to share with us lots of great ideas on how to incorporate poetry throughout the year. I was frantically taking notes as she talked because there's a few ideas I definitely want to try before the end of the school year. Before we get started, I wanted to let you know that we did have a few internet issues, so you might hear a few bumps along the way, but it still turned out to be a great interview. So let's get started. Hi, Lisa. Welcome. Hello. How are you, Carolyn? I'm doing great. I'm so glad we were able to make this work because I know you've been sick. So I'm glad we got everything rescheduled and we could still fit this in during Poetry Month. Yes, wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to uh, chat with you about all things poetry. Yes. My, I would say first love, but no, there's <laughs> there's others that come before it, but it's pretty high on the list. Um, maybe my teacher first love. Your teacher um, first cla- love. Classify it as that. <laughs> for sure. Yes, I know you're very, very passionate about it, which we will get to, but I've known you for a little while, but I know that my listeners may not know you. So why don't you just tell us a little bit about who you are and what you teach and what you're all about? Absolutely. So I'm Lisa with an E. I am a typo from birth, which I think destined me to be um, an English teacher. My dad is French. So when he spelled my name, I in French is E in English, but that mix up happened. Um, I'm from Toronto, Canada. I am a high school teacher. I've been teaching high school for about 15 years. Before that, I was a graduate student and an instructor at university for English and film courses. I am a solo parent of a six-year-old. I currently teach at a private school that is arts-focused. It's professional arts training for students. They train in dance, and I teach on the academic side of things. I am not, so you're not dance a dancer. inclined. No, no. I took dance when I was little, and my students do a lot of ballet. That's their main art form, and they're always like, "Let's see your turnout, Miss." <laughs> and then they're like. We know why you teach English. And I was like, yes, ask me to do a math equation and you can have further proof of why I teach English. (laughs) I pride myself on my sarcasm and my humor. These are two things that sort of get me through life and through teaching, which is why I focus on high school. My six-year-old has some sense of my sarcasm, but it gets lost on on younger kids. So that's that's my group, my 14-plus under understand uh, my sense of humor. 
your six-year-old, she'll get it. And then you'll be, if she says something back to you, you'll be like, oh. oh. Well, we've been teaching that no is a full sentence in our house and sort okay. of in her life to be able to do that. And the hard part is when she uses it against me, not to sort of be like, come on now, kid. I'm like, no, this is what I want her to do and to be. You know, but it's hard when it comes back to bite you a little. Yeah. For sure. Anyway, parenting is a little karma. Lisa, I've known you for a couple of years now, and I know that poetry you are super passionate about. So I'm so excited to be able to talk to you during the month of April. But where does that passion for poetry come from? It comes from fear, actually. It started because I I hated poetry. I found it really difficult to teach. It always felt really sort of boring and regular. And it wasn't as exciting as doing a novel study and diving deep into um, studying character, looking at X and Y in a book and um, really engaging students. I used a lot of other ways to do it, but with poetry, I just couldn't find my groove. And that was maybe, I'd say five or six years ago when Mm -hmm. I figured out I need to change this, right? I needed to revamp the lessons I was doing try and figure out what is it that I liked about poetry? What could be interesting about poetry? What are ways to use poetry that work with high school students or middle school students? And so I started to do my own PD. And part of that was honestly just reading poetry, looking at online poetry, going to right the American poets online, like poets.org and reading their poem a day and sort of seeing what do I get out of this? How could I use this? And trying to move away from a standard poetry unit to using poetry elsewhere. You do a really great job with that because a lot of the things that I've seen you post about or that you've blogged about is really using poetry just in, not in place of, but in other areas of teaching instead of the novel. And so I've really, I've learned a lot from you personally because poetry is not my area. But we'll get to that also in a second. I think the big thing is, yeah, like I like to do a full poetry unit now because I've hit on some things that really work with different groups of students. Um, Or I can do poetry for a week at a time and then come back and do a week later. But I found early on that students were intimidated by poetry in as much as I was. And it's not something I was enthusiastic about. So, right, you know, as a teacher, if you're not selling it in the room, then nobody's buying. So how could I do that with poetry in places that I knew I liked? So how could I combine poetry with short stories, right? How could I do it? Okay, we're reading this great novel. Oh, hey, I remember reading this poem. It could really fit with this character or this theme. And just dropping it in, not having to spend a lot of time, not doing really formal analysis with it, but asking some key questions, taking a look at images maybe focusing on two or three words within that we sort of break down a little bit more. Some of my students were really nerdy one year and really into etymology. And so we would trace the history of a word through the Oxford Dictionary and how did it get to this or how could it change the poem in this way, right? And part of it was tapping in, what were they interested in? Here's what I could bring to the table. What did they want from poetry? So figuring out ways to make it less intimidating, less, okay, we're now going to spend the next 20 classes doing a poem, analyzing a poem, writing about a poem. 
okay, here's the next poet. We're now going to read about this poet, read some of their poetry, analyze it, right? That's, that's not something we would do with a novel. It's not something we would do with a short story. So how can we change up how we do it with poetry? And that's where I've sort of set my sights. I love that. And I think that that is kind of maybe why I'm intimidated by teaching poetry, because it has traditionally been a poetry unit. And it has traditionally been like, here's your 10 poems or five poems or whatever. And so I know that I'm not alone when I say that poetry is a struggle for me to teach. You and I have talked about that for myself as well. And you've kind of mentioned a few things about how you've read poetry and you kind of found some things that you liked. But if there is another teacher out there, I shouldn't say if because I know there is, but another teacher out there. (laughs) I also know there are. Yeah. (laughs) Who is struggling, who's like, oh, I haven't done really any poetry all year. What is like some advice that you could give them to like jump in and say, oh, we're going to do something with poetry that might be attainable for that teacher? So there's a few things. Think about it in small ways. You don't climb a mountain by like running all the way up, right? There's sort of here's base camp one, here's base camp two. So start something small. You don't have to, right? We're all tired in teaching, particularly at this time of year. So don't try and reinvent the wheel. There's lots of things out there that you can use, adapt, borrow, change, but start small. How is it? Maybe you start to do a poetry sort of feature wall in your room. Maybe it's a bulletin board and you go to poetry.org and you print out their last six days of the daily poem and it's up on the wall. Maybe it's, I started using poetry as part of bell ringers or attendance questions. Here's a haiku, right? Five, seven, five, not long, right? Pick out the idea from it. Matsuo Basho is one of the most well-known haiku poets. And he has one like about melons or rain, or frogs, or sleeping, right? And you can come up with a quick little question that fits with that poem, but the students have read the poem in a no-pressure way, right? Make that Fridays between now and the end of the school year that you just put up a haiku and your attendance question is that. I love that. That's super simple, Right? Yeah. And, and it starts you thinking about poetry. You've now done it. It's starting to become a little less scary because, hey, I've done this one thing. And then students are like, oh, poetry is just part of what we do in class. It's not a, a big thing we have to tackle. And right. the other is start with creation. Don't jump right into analysis. I like to look at it as sort of a bridge. We think about like students having to write poetry. We have all read teenager poetry. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we've all written teenager poetry yes. probably. <laughs> I think there's a podcast where people go on and read from their diaries and their teen poetry as adults, and it is as cringeworthy as you think. I Um, can imagine. Also also (laughs) terribly funny. But think about ways that students could write poems. So if it's in a novel, you're in a novel study unit right now, there's a character, what is it something they love? Could they write a haiku about it? Could they write an ode to it, right? Like five lines about why they love this particular thing. And then, right, so they've created it. It's not graded. It's just something to do as a bit of a character study, right? An activity to do in class. And then next step is to think, okay, how am I going to get them to do analysis, but of their own poems? So that they're starting to think, hey, why did I pick that word? Or why did I choose to rhyme here? And sometimes they won't have a great reason, 
right? It could be, well, this just sounded right. And you can push them a little bit further to think about that, about their own work, right? They're the expert in their own work. It's not a matter of trying to figure out why did Robert Frost take the like road less traveled. It's why did you rhyme fly and by, right? Yeah, and that's where that. you can get some evaluation in. That's where you're teaching them how to structure an analysis of a poem. So they, you can grade that analysis and say, hey, have you thought about including this about the meter or the rhyme scheme or what figurative language devices did you use? And then you can segue to analysis, right? Those same skills they've already done. They've written a poem. They know sort of what goes into it. Now here's where they've done some analysis of their own. How do they apply that to another poet? I love that because like you said, they're the expert in their own poetry and maybe they know and maybe they don't know why they chose those specific things, but it gives them But they'll take a minute to think. Yeah. Yeah. And they'll have a better answer for themselves than to say, well, I don't know why Robert Frost did that. And if they've never read him until your class, they probably don't even care why Robert Frost (laughs) wrote that. Listen, I dare say this. I don't care why he took the road less traveled, right? Like For sure. (laughs) So- Why not get them? And it's pushing them not just to think, but really framing it as risk-taking, right? Because it's scary to try and figure out what a poem is about. It's short. It's well-chosen language. It's in some ways both specific and really universal. You're not quite sure where to start. There's nothing sort of simple often to grab onto, like there is in a short story when you can be like, oh, hey, this is the exposition. I can Mm -hmm. find the climax. Or in a novel, hey, I can talk about setting. It's not as easy to do that with poetry. So why not get them to take risks with their own work first so that hopefully that transfers when they go in to do it with somebody else's work? Right, and I think it's so backwards the way that, at least the way I've approached it, because we've always looked at poetry as the mentor text and then said, go write it. And But I love this idea of having them write first. And you could even start at the beginning of the year having them write different things, like you said, through the different characters. And and then by the time you want to do a larger poetry, not necessarily a poetry unit, but a poetry study, you've got students who already feel like they understand it. So I love that idea. That is great. So one of the things I love to do to start the year is a collaborative poem where students are asked to write a couplet. So they write two sentences. Maybe the first line is about their name and the second is something about them. And then you can group together all of those lines to create a class poem, right? So they get to know each other. Maybe it's Write two lines about how you feel about reading or how you feel about taking English, right? Rather than just give me two sentences, make it, give me two lines that rhyme. Give me a line that includes a simile and you re-explain what a simile is. But you've, you've done it in a way that's just kind of like a, a little less formal. Yeah. Right. Here's this other thing. And that collaboration piece also starts to work. Hey, I can see everybody else's lines too. And and go from there, right? Like um I think it's called um I was gonna say the French term, a modified exquisite corpse, I think is what it's called. Okay. Right? <laughs> I don't know. Poem. <laughs> uh, a collaborative poem is the easiest way to do it. And okay. and maybe that starts the intro to the year. Maybe as you're closing out the year, give me two sentences that rhyme that summarize your school year, that summarize 
this last month of school that summarize the best book you've read this year. I love that. And it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be big. And I think that's where I know I struggled is I have to do all these higher order, really intense things with poetry right away to make it quote unquote worthwhile. And that I think is why so many of us, myself included for a really long time, just avoided it. Mm -hmm. It was easier not to tackle it in that way, right? It was oh my gosh, this is too much. My kids aren't going to get it. It's going to be a lot of work and they're just not going to buy in. Right. And it's such a struggle to get them to read. So now trying to read a poem, that's definitely where my mindset has been. And we push it towards the end of the year, right? Like April is a lovely month for National Poetry Month, but in terms of the school calendar, like let's make National Poetry Month in say October. So that they're a little fresher right at the beginning. And for us in Canada, they'd get a break in between, right? Because that's when our Thanksgiving is. That would be that would be an ideal time for it. That would be. Make your own National Poetry Month or your school poetry month in October. (laughs) Just should you choose. And then you'll be ready with National Poetry Month in April. And there you go. I do love how you just incorporate all these little things in each thing that you're doing, and then it doesn't become such a big thing. And it's very similar to writing. Like I wouldn't start the year saying, you know, write an essay. I'd be like, you know, we start with a paragraph or two of the stations, or we start with word walls, or we start with little things. And so it's very similar to that. Um, I know I definitely need to incorporate more poetry in my own class. And I love this idea of the collaborative poetry. I could even see having them write the class collaborative poem like you were talking about and then pull it out again at the end. Don't post it, but just, you know, pull it out again at the end and they write their second one and kind of see how they grew yeah. or how they changed. Or... And maybe it's for the second one, right? You do one early in the year of the class and it's, they introduce just their first name. And then the one at the end of the year is they include their last name, right? Sort of a beginning and an end. Oh, I love that. You're so right. good with this. You just have to remember to do it. That's usually my, I was like, Uh, hold on, there was something I was going to do again. Did I put it in my calendar or not? (laughs) For those those sorts of things. so So the other thing around this time of year, right in April, at least when I'm in the classroom, we start to do more presentations, longer presentations. And so bringing in music or spoken word is a way that you can analyze not necessarily the content, though absolutely you can look at that, what is the poet saying, but how is it that they're delivering the work? Where is their emphasis? How is their pace? What does their body language look like? All things that you would consider when you're giving a presentation. It could be that you are assessing with the rubric that they'll use for their presentation, right? In terms terms of looking at a particular poet's delivery. All right. So lots of great advice. (laughs) I'm loving it. Like I'm literally taking notes if you can just see here because there's a lot of things. I know that like I've said many times already, poetry has just always been, even when I taught creative writing, it was like a unit and we just looked at a few poems, but All right. So you have tons of resources and ideas and (laughs) blogs and stuff on poetry. So tell us about one of your favorite projects that you've done with poetry that really just kind of highlights your love of poetry. So I have to admit, I knew this question was coming and I started to make a list. And then I was kind of like, no, she said just one. (laughs) You can do more than one if you want. But I'm having a really 
hard part picking just one thing like low-key things i love it is a classic for a reason blackout poetry i love using it for choice reading for random things if we're reading the news right to shift and how do you boil down um, a news article Um, i've written on this on our collaborative blog ela matters about how to use poetry to do summary skills or different different ways of doing that one that's become a little bit more old-fashioned now, but I really like the thinking that students put into it, is to hyperlink a poem. So they go through and they just let their curiosity drive them when it comes to the poem. If maybe they're doing something that talks about flowers and they go and they look up flowers and pick out a flower they like or do a scientific version of a flower and then they hyperlink that word in a digital version of the poem to the other website. So you can track their thinking as they go through the poem. And it's kind of neat to see where their brains go and for them to sort of see after, right? Some of them, um, I had one student who tied everything to music, to different like YouTube clips and another kid who was so obsessed with The Office that he was like, oh, this reminds me of this episode when so-and-so said this, right? And it's interesting because I get them then to share in small groups, they sort of trade their versions of poems. And they don't know at first that I have given um, like five poems to the class in total for the 30 of them. So there's lots of people who do the same poem. So I group them together with someone who's done the same poem first. And you see how different their thinking is when it comes to that poem and what's in it. And that there's no sort of right or wrong, we're just following curiosity And I've tied that to something, to a lesson about point of view, right? So what is it that you see when you're going through this versus somebody else? So you're giving them each a poem. So it's typed out. And then as they go through that poem, they're just linking specific words to things that interest them, like the flower or the office episodes or. Yeah. Like just doing a Google search, like a digital version. I have it set up in, um, a Google slide or a Google doc, the copy of the poem, just cut and paste into it. And then they're just sort of searching and then coming back to the poem, hitting control K, what website are they going to attach to it? So there's no added explanation that they're doing initially, right? Odds are when they start to get into their small group to discuss it, they'll explain why did they pick this? Why did they pick that? But it's really just a matter of where did your curiosity take you from the beginning of this poem to the end? And some people will choose every single word. Some might go, hey, these two lines remind me of this. And it's just getting them to work with the poem. And what a great idea. Like once you've had them write their own and analyze their own, what a great transition into analyzing other poems because you're not jumping from my own to now I have to decide what, you know, my Angela was thinking when she wrote blah, blah, blah. And now yeah, they're just still like, I rise. Ah, yeah. <laughs> right. And yeah. they're still just kind of exploring it and tying it to their interests, which is going to be like, remember when we did that poem where I linked everything to the office, like they're going to remember that. And that's going to be a a, great a positive ex- poetry memory. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. That's also what we're going for here. Right. Yeah. And I think even though I'm teaching sixth grade this year, I think that that could be a great activity I could do with my sixth graders before the end of the year, just kind of get some yeah. practice with it so I could use it next year. That's awesome. Yeah. And the other thing is maybe you add, 
I love figuring out how do I build a skill into it? If I'm not mm-hmm. doing something marking, how do I use it? Make it around a research skills lesson that they do a poem and they're linking things. You can only use websites that you view as reliable so that as they're going through to pick websites, they're assessing that website. Maybe it's a checklist of, okay, I know a website has to have this and this, and it can be reliable if it's this. Yeah. And those are the only resources they can use in it. You've got my mind thinking about yeah. my next unit, which is argumentative. And the students are going to be working on whether or not we should have zoos. And so I'm thinking of some poems that I could yeah. incorporate this idea with. I'm loving this. Awesome. Or pick something that there's different sort of controversies around, right? Even the image within, or there's ways mm-hmm. to interpret it, or I can argue that this means this. I'm trying to think, even if you look at a poem that uses, oh, what's the name? The poem is called Rap by Amy Azahukamatil, I think. And it's homonyms. So it's three versions of the, three or four versions of the word rap, W-R-A-P, in the poem. And it could be, okay, well, how, what does this one actually mean? What does that one actually mean, Mm -hmm. right? What can you argue is the most dominant out of those? Or maybe it's, what's the best poem? Here's three poems by this poet. Oh, I like that. Which one do you think is? Or here's three poems. This is when I use, when I do coming of age novels. I pick three poems about childhood. I don't give them the title. They don't get the poet. They just get the poem. Which one do you think best represents childhood? Why? Right? You've read a poem. You're now going to make an argument about defending that poem. And it can be really simple poetry, right? Like go with Sharon Olds has some really great accessible poems that you could use that could work. Billy Collins has some fun play ones. Um, I'm trying to think other middle school ones. I'll send you a list. I've got a awesome I've got a list. <laughs> we'll, we'll add those to the show notes. Yeah, there I love go. all. And these I'll do a blog ideas. post so I can share it with everybody. <laughs> Great. I I love all these ideas because I feel like they're all very accessible, and I don't feel like I have to be the expert in the poem based off no. these suggestions that you've had. The other thing is, is don't be the expert. I love that when it comes to poetry. Because my students felt more comfortable when I was uncomfortable with or saying, I'm not quite sure what this means. Like, let's take a look at it, right? I was no longer the expert. I was the learner with them. For some things, my students, right? Students really want to know that their teacher knows exactly what they're talking about. So they've got that level of comfort. With poetry, try the flip. Try the, okay, we're going to try something. I think this could mean this. What do you think? And make it a bit more of a discussion. Make it an exploration. Mm -hmm. Maybe you've got poems in your pocket that you know you're an expert in and you've looked up a bunch of stuff or you found analysis online. No, but as Mm -hmm. you get further into a, you know, practicing it, you'll get to that level of comfort or you'll find that level of analysis elsewhere. But make it, hey, let's figure this out. I know poetry can be a challenge. So, hey, let's. You can still sell it as, hey, I really liked this poem because it's got this really cool word in it, or this one that was inspired by this work of art, or this one where I really like the way Rudy Francisco talks about whatever the case may be. He's one of my favorite spoken word artists. And then as you start to look at it, go, hey, I'm not quite sure what that means. Let's let's take a look and figure it out. And not in a fake way, not in a, I'm going to pretend I don't know, but right. in some ways, I really don't know. Right. Right? Like, right. 
Yeah. Especially when it comes to contemporary spoken word. Yeah. I'm like, okay, I know Jordans. I know really a lot about like 90s hip hop culture. That's my time. Um, but some of the more current references, I'm like, what is, right? Like, what does a slang mean? And yeah. please, please tell me that I haven't just brought something in that is totally a poor choice, right? Like, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Um, for sure. I'm trying to think other assignments that I love. I've started to do more stuff with Insta poets. So Instagram or social media poets, because it's really accessible, it's easy to find, and it's really relevant. So people like Lang Leave or Brian Bilston does a whole lot of humorous poems. You might have heard of his poem, Refugee, where you read it, it's um, a palindrome poem or a reverse poem, where it means one thing when you read from top to bottom and something else bottom to top. So he does a lot of poetry on Instagram. Rupi Kaur, who most people, um, I think, are a little more familiar with. She's um, risen through the ranks quite quickly in terms of pop culture poetry. And that's stuff that my students really get into, right? The It's in a square. It's maybe 10 lines or less. It has some sort of really easy line drawing that's associated with it. So it's really aesthetically pleasing to them. Mm-hmm. And, and they dive into it. You said it was easy to find. So I'm going to say for somebody who's not super techie like me, like, how do you find that? So I would say, are you on Instagram? And if so, you can search a hashtag Insta poetry, I-N-S-T-A poetry. Or you can look up Rupi, R-U-P-I. And then the last name is Kaur, K-A-U-R. And I think she has an underscore at the end. And often she'll mention some other poets or Lang Leave. L-A-N-G-L-E-A-V, or just Google Insta poets or social media poets. Lots of them there. And then you don't even have to have an Instagram account to search it or to Mm -hmm. find their work, but it's really easy. And then I have a blog post that I've written about it recently, so I can send that that. your way in and we'll link link it at the bottom. Awesome. So those are my sort of big things. Those are great. I am. I appreciate all of the advice, all of the like accessible, like I could do tomorrow, maybe not tomorrow, <laughs> but maybe next week, like a little research. Go. I am, but it's not like I have to study the poems. Like it's not that heaviness that I typically feel when I think I have to teach poetry. All right. So before I let you go, I always ask people on my podcast because we know that teaching is just gotten so much harder in the last few years and we want to welcome new teachers into the profession so if you were sitting down with a brand new teacher do you have one piece of advice or a teacher hack that you could share with them absolutely when i think i'm right english teacher so lots of marking particularly with seniors in high school the biggest thing for me is don't bring the marking home you are going to put it in a bag You are going to, if you drive, put it in your car, carry it into your house. You're going to leave it at your front door, and then you're going to take it back to school the next day. Try and find bits of time. I am not an early morning person. I would rather stay half an hour after school, Um, but build in 30 minutes and make that, okay, I'm going to power through and I'm going to mark whatever the case may be. And with that in mind, not everything has to be marked. Yes. Not everything has to have teacher eyes on it. Sometimes yes. it's okay that you've just looked at things while you've circulated in the room or you've read 
the thesis statement and you haven't read the full essay, like if you're marking the full essay, of course you're going to do that. But as they're doing their rough drafts, I tell the student, pick one paragraph and I'll read your thesis. What is it you want me to focus on? That's it. I'm not reading your whole essay before you submit your whole essay. All right. There's already lots of you that I have to mark. And then the other thing is focus on your students, but not at the expense of yourself. Right. Teaching is something you do. And it can certainly be, I know a lot of us, if even when I was thinking about my intro today, right, I'm a teacher. That's really quite a lot of how I identify and it's tied a lot into my identity. And that's something I'm working on. Yeah. But it's the idea that that's not everything I am. And that's our students aren't just who they are in our class. So give them the grace to be people and give yourself that same thing to be a person. Take the time off, do the thing on the weekend, prep on the Friday so you don't have to think on Sunday what you're going to do on Monday, right? (laughs) It just makes the weekend so much better. I never leave on Friday without knowing what I'm doing Monday. Yeah. And I do that at the end of the school year. I'm fortunate, right? When I end a school year, I know what courses I'm coming into and I photocopy and prep the first two days of school so that when I come in, it's not the like the three days before battling for the photocopier, trying to figure out what I'm going to do. I've got some standard. I know that Mm -hmm. we're going to do a diagnostic. Here's what I think we'll do. Okay. I know I'm going to start with a unit that kind of looks like this. Okay let's print that stuff or have the digital copies ready to go. So right, right. September becomes a little more, let me enjoy meeting the kids who are in right. my class, taking a breath, and then let's jump in. Yeah, and you know you're going to do some type of get-to-know-you activities. Maybe you're going to yeah. do stations. And those don't, aren't, don't have to be tied to a standard. They can just, you know, you're just getting to know who they are. Yeah, I think that's great advice. Not everybody knows what they're teaching in the fall, but I think you could still prep. Like I always prep the first week of school, which for us is usually only three or four days. And so it's, you know, here's what we do in this class, you know, go over the syllabus, not the first day though, but we go over the syllabus (laughs) and, you know, we just kind of do some fun, get to know you. We do some book talks. And, and so those are things you definitely can plan before you leave. Like I have a specific place in my desk that here's the books I'm going to book talk. Here's what I'm going to do on the first day and send out for those copies. We can send our copies out. So I always have those ready to go. So when I come um, back in the fall, they're sitting on my desk waiting for me. (laughs) And now you can add poetry, right? You can do the collaborative poetry. You have an activity ready to go that's part of it. Maybe you do a few versions of it. There's half a class prepped for you. And all you need is a prompt and some chart paper. Yep. Perfect. Awesome. There we go. All right. So if somebody would like to find out more about how you highlight poetry throughout the year and more about the lessons that you have kind of shared with us today, where can they find you? Where can they connect with you? So I am online in all of the places, Um, not on TikTok because I will lose days of my life, um, (laughs) probably just scrolling. Um, But I'm Smith Teaches 9 to 12. So the number 9 and then T-O-12 on Instagram, smithteaches9to12.com, website, elamatters.com. I do lots of posts there, a collaborative blog. I'm sure you've probably mentioned it before. Yes. Of a group of middle school and high school teachers. So lots of stuff about poetry there. And send me an email, smithteaches9to12 at gmail.com. Awesome. Happy to chat anytime. 
Awesome. And we'll link all of that, put all that in the show notes so people can reach out to you if they are interested in. Well, Lisa, Perfect. thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate your time and all your wisdom. And I just really adore your passion for poetry. <laughs> and thank you for providing some uh, activities that I feel like I can do in my classroom. Wonderful. Thank you. I'm so happy. My first podcast experience. Delightful. Thank you, Carolyn. Oh my goodness. Lisa is amazing. I love her passion for poetry. I love how she took something that she really didn't know how to teach, and then she made it something that she loves to teach. She showed us lots of great ideas, but if you were looking to up your game in poetry, go check out her blog, Smith Teaches 9 to 12, and I will put all of her contact information in the show notes. As I said in the interview, poetry is a struggle for me, but I'm not afraid to ask for help. So I will be sharing some of Lisa's ideas and blogs in our Facebook group this week. So be sure to join us over there. And if you are somebody who loves poetry and you have some tips or suggestions for us, please feel free to come post those over in the group as well. All right, everyone, that's going to be it for me today. Next week, if all goes according to plan, I will be making a big announcement. So be sure to come back for that. I hope that you had a fabulous day. And until next time, have a great week.